Hi, I'm Nick St. Louis, leader of the Foot Collective, and you're listening to the Mountain Movers Podcast. This is the Mountain Movers Podcast, a platform for you. The ones with a voice to be heard, but no microphone to speak it. This is your time, your chance to become more than they believe you are, more than you believe you are. So let's do this together. Welcome back to the show, guys. I'm sitting here with Nick from the Foot Collective. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm great, Jake. How are you? I'm good, man. I got one cup of coffee in one hand. I got the microphone in the other hand, and I'm ready for a recording. Nice. You're all set. <laughs> all set. So my first question for you is uh, just a simple one, just to encapture what this episode is going to really cover. So Nick, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so my name is Nick St. Louis. Uh, I live in Ottawa, Canada. I'm a curious human that loves to play, and I lead um, – I guess you could call it a company, although I consider it more of a, a collective group of people uh, called the Foot Collective. And we're based out of Ottawa, but we've got um, people that are involved all over the world. And our mission is pretty simple. It's give people back responsibility for their health. I think that is a very strong worded slogan. I mean, where does that come from? Um, well, I'm, I'm trained as a physical therapist. And so I kind of saw it firsthand there where a lot of what we do as health professionals is to, uh, accept responsibility for people's health, right? You come to see me, it's my responsibility to fix your shoulder. And it kind of stung a bit when I realized that it's impossible to take responsibility for people's health. The only person that can do that is the individual. And we have a sort of a disempowering system in place where people forfeit that responsibility or feel that health is too complex for them to understand. And it's, it's not true. And it's also an impossible way for sustainable improvements in health. And so, um, you know, certainly people can have guides and, and get help along the way. Um, but at the end of the day, the person has to understand that they are the person in charge of their health and they are the primary determinant of whether they're healthy and happy or, um, you know, in pain or, or having illness or disease. And so, yeah, I mean, we by no means claim to know everything. Um, we have a group of people around the world. We're about 140 of us now called foot nerds. And we essentially just take radical ownership for our health process. And through that, we're able to learn, um, you know, and discover the truth of like what works, what doesn't, what is the simplest thing you can do for each of the five pillars of health that will help you improve um, your behaviors, that will help you get closer towards health and, you know, even health itself. The process is the destination. Um, there is no finite endpoint where you're healthy and then the work is done. It's sort of this daily journey that you have to engage with. Um, and I mean, in my opinion, the goal is to enjoy the process, um, not to put your goal on some external metric that you've set for yourself. Goals are fine, but when it comes to health, every day should be um, part of the process of just getting a little bit better. 
No, very well said, absolutely. I'm gonna circle back. You spoke about um, how you, as a collective, um, sort of unlock that truth. And the word truth I want to emphasize here, is that saying that there's a lot of misinterpretation in the world or mis, uh, people misleading one another when it comes to foot health or health in general? Certainly. There's misinformation everywhere. And I think, um, I think the problem today is actually just um, the, the volume of information available. So it's not, I don't think it's per, that people are purposely deceiving others, although that's definitely sometimes the case. Um, I just think there's so much information out in, you know, the information economy is essentially broken where it's so overwhelming that it basically is impossible for any one individual to discover truth because there's just so many layers of bullshit, um, to get through until you get to the, the essence or the wisdom of what can actually help you. And so, you know, when you combine the collective brain power of many different people and we each play a small part in searching for that truth and we collaborate in a way that allows for emergent effects of um, collective wisdom to develop, um, I think it's a really powerful way to, to discover truth. And I mean, truth, the word truth in and of itself can mean many things to different, many different people, right? There's objective truths that are true, whether you want to think of it as true or not. Um, there are personal truths that are true to the individual, regardless of what uh, other people may think or prove. Um, but at the end of the day, there are things that people need to know in order to take care of themselves, right? Like you can only make good decisions if you have good information. And when you're given poor information, it can lead you down the wrong path and it can lead you to frustration if you're not getting the results that you're expecting. Um, and the sad reality is that health professionals today, the way that they're trained in traditional institutions are not actually prepared um, with the right knowledge to help people truly reclaim health. Um, and that's a really sad reality of the world we live in right now, but it's also a big opportunity, which we're um, looking to kind of capitalize on and, 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 and a problem we're looking to solve through the Footner program, where it's more of a collaborative, community-based learning program, um, whereby it's really experiential, it's not theory-based. Um, and the goal is not to learn about health, it's to live health. And by living health, you can then lead others and, and develop your own personal understanding of how to help others by going through those struggles yourself. So, yeah, I think um, there's just so much crap out there, and it's a, it's a big problem. And, um, you know, you combine that with the way that, you know, the game theory of social media and today's media landscape um, it makes for a very messy situation, and it's really not surprising that people are just super confused when it comes to health. No, I, I, I can definitely attest to that. Like, that's just the reality that we live in. And unfortunately, there are people that use their platforms to, um, yeah, mislead people, to feed them, you know, not the whole truth, maybe a part of the truth, but not the whole truth. So I really appreciate how you guys encapture this complete honesty, because if you aren't transparent, how are people really going to be able to resonate with you, right? Right. And you have to be authentic, right? Like I don't tell people to do anything that I don't personally do myself. Mm. And I think that's very, um, I don't think that's very common, unfortunately, in the world of social media, where you can engineer this appearance of what, um, 
of what you're, you know, you want people to think of you as, which oftentimes doesn't reflect the reality. And so it gives a false perception where people have feel almost incapable of living up to this weird false expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I, health is really simple. It really is. It's not about any of the fancy stuff. And the problem is that people that are putting out poor information are not trying to put out poor information. It's just what they've learned through their journey. Um, but oftentimes that, you know, people have this hesitance to change their mind, right? They identify with the current way of thinking. They, um, it's scary to release your current way of thinking and be open to new information, right? It's like, it's like a hermit crab coming out of its shell. You no longer have the security of feeling like you understand the world. But if you're never willing to be open-minded to accepting new information or, or at least entertaining different perspectives, you also never learn. And I think this is a, a root problem in the world of, for example, medicine or rehab or the healthcare system is the reluctance to see other perspectives, uh, either because it goes against um, sort of your ability to make money or make lots of money, um, or it literally is just so far from the way you've currently done things that it's not even something you will entertain as being valid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how we get down this, get to this really weird place that no one tried to get to and that no one I think is happy with, but it's just where we've ended up. And I think until people are open-minded enough to see different perspectives and admit that when you learn how to do something better, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. Right. If you've done things up until right now a certain way and you learn that that way is really not good, it's doing more harm than than good and there's a better way, switching to that better way doesn't make you a bad person for doing things wrong because we've all done things wrong. There's always, you know, science exists to prove us wrong and, and we just have to flow with that process instead of resisting it. All right. So TFC um, as a collective, as a, like you said, a company. What kind of information can we find through you guys? I like to think of the information we put out as health heuristics. So the general principles that apply to the 99%. Um, There's always exceptions to the rule. There's always the 0.001% who have this outlier genetic uh, defect that will make them not abide by, that will make them not benefit from those principles. But 99.99% of people share the same physiology, right? Share the same fundamental um, biology that will allow them to do the right things. Like if you're a human, you should just eat real food that doesn't have an ingredient label. You can eat some of the other stuff, but if that's all, if all you eat is processed food that doesn't, that is far away from its natural state, you're going to develop problems. So literally it's, it's that simple. And I think some people actually shrug off the simplicity as being too simple, as being like, well, that can't possibly be true because I would have known this by now. Um, But the reality is health really is simple, right? It's this, we know how to be healthy. We've just been had layers of programming put on us that has confused the landscape, right? Um, Humans are designed to move. If you spend long periods of time each day in one fixed position, which right now the most convenient one is sitting in a chair, you're going to develop a huge swath of potential problems with your knee, with your back, um, with, with your feet, like everything. Things don't work as well if you're not giving your body the right inputs. And that includes the right mental inputs. Um, that includes the right food inputs. 
the right movement inputs. Like all this stuff is very, you know, it's simple, but it's not easy because modern life has essentially layered on all these conveniences that we've just gotten used to. And so you literally have to remove convenience from your life in order to restore health. And most people are simply unwilling to do that or aren't aware of the benefits of doing that enough to justify them wanting to do it. Um, so yeah, health is really simple. And we just try, that's really what we try and do at TFC is put out, is simplify health to make it more relatable, to make it more achievable, um, to reduce the intimidation of the word health, because it is overwhelming if you, if you don't, um, if you take it as a whole and say, I want to be healthy, like problem is most people don't even know what healthy means when they say, I want to be healthy, right? <laughs> I've started to ask people this, like, you know, what is your aspiration? Oh, I want to be healthy. I want to improve my health. Okay, well, what does health mean to you? And a lot of people pause because they, they haven't actually been asked that question or asked themselves that question. And a lot of people, I find, eventually answer, well, I don't want to have pain. Um, and that's a really low bar, right? Like being healthy doesn't mean just not having pain. Certainly that's one part of it, but there's so much more to health, right? Like that's just like saying, I just want to survive. It's like the goal, the bar should be thriving. The bar should be living in a, a, a super happy life where you can flourish and, and experience joy on a daily basis and experience love on a daily basis. And there's not like, it's a really low bar to say, oh, I just don't want pain. So do you think that's the most common issue that people have? Mm, it's one of them. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think a lot of people just have, like as a physio, I saw all these preventable issues all the time and they're super common. 75% of people in shoe wearing populations will develop foot pain in some way at some point. That's a crazy stat. Um, considering the default state of humans is pain free and resilient. So yeah, I think whether it's physical pain or it's mental pain, um, you know, anxiety, depression, um, you know, like all of these things are signals. And one of the big problems is that we've lost the ability to interpret that signal in the right way, right? We look at pain as something to get rid of or hide from, uh, not as something that gives us a clue as to what the path forward should be. And so, you know, if you remove all the fire alarms from your home, uh, it's really easy for your home to burn down. It's really easy for your body to fall apart if you're always ignoring the signals that you should be listening to to guide you to where you need to go. And this is a big artifact of medicine where we, you know, medicine and pharma, where we get rid of pain, we treat pain, we only treat pain. We don't even seem to understand what the root cause of that pain is. And so it's impossible to solve the problem if you don't actually understand what the problem is because the problem is not pain. Pain is actually part of the solution. Um, but we just ignore it or um, try and get away from it. And that's, you know, we need to change that culturally in order for us to even start to make progress. So I guess there's like this stigma around, like you said, health in general, because uh, when people see themselves as maybe not in the best, in the best state health wise, and they want to get to somewhere that's a lot more comfortable, or um, like you said, thriving. Um, I feel like they see it as this like super long journey to get from point A to point B. But there are so many other letters involved in my eyes. It's like getting from point A to point B, which will get you to point C, point D, and so on. So like, what are some first initial steps that people can take just in their everyday lives that'll get them to that point? 
Yeah, that's a good question because going from zero to 100 is really intimidating, right? It is a long journey. And like I said, the health journey never ends. It's perpetual. Um, but in order to get from zero to 100, you first have to go from zero to one. And that is often the best place for people to focus on because they can be insanely small changes. Um, I often, you know, if someone in my family asked me about health, I just say, okay, we conceptualize health in, in five pillars. So you have sleep, food, movement, the mind, and community. And that's an abstraction, right? You, they are not, they are inseparable. Everything is interrelated bi-directionally with everything else. But it gives you an abstraction to be able to conceptualize health and then prioritize, you know, which of these pillars do I feel is the biggest issue for me right now? And say someone says sleep is my biggest problem. All right, let's start with sleep. Well, you know, maybe going to bed 30 minutes earlier and avoiding technology 30 minutes before you go to sleep, that's zero to one. And if that's too hard, then just don't look at your phone 30 minutes before bed. Go to bed at the same time. Don't change anything else. Just don't look at your phone 30 minutes before bed if you're the kind of person that looks at their phone until they pass out. You know, like zero to one, that's the sweet spot. Because oftentimes that's the first domino that falls to make people feel confident that they can actually make changes, right? Habits are built by positive emotions. They're not built through repetition. And when you succeed at something, you create a positive emotion. Mm -hmm. And I think a really big thing that people are missing and, you know, behavior design to me is one of the biggest key elements uh, in the tool belt of the modern health professional. And it's not taught at all. Um, you know, we covered in the Footner program and we'll be launching a community next year called Health Pro, um, which aligns health professionals from a variety of disciplines to, to that think alike and that want to do better. And one of the major elements of the education offering for that community is going to be behavior design. Because until you understand how to help people change, um, it doesn't matter if you give them the best advice in the world. If they don't do it, then it's ineffective. And so, you know, understanding that zero to one involves very small changes that are manageable. But in order to understand what zero to one is for someone, you have to understand that person. You have to understand what their life is like. You have to understand what their motivations are, why, they, why they're coming to see you, um, what they feel confident and able to do, you know, what they want to achieve. And unfortunately, when all you do is focus on pain, and if you only have 10 minutes with your doctor, they have no hope in hell of finding out who you are, what you want, what your life looks like. And so all they're able to do is give you something to control your symptoms. So we really need to take a step back and look at, you know, to me, there's almost two words. There's efficiency, and then there's effectiveness. Efficiency means getting better at doing things quicker. Effectiveness means actually achieving the result. And I think what we've done is we've prioritized efficiency without actually paying attention to effectiveness. So if you see five extra people in a day, that's great. You've worked on efficiency of seeing more people. But what if seeing each person is not being effective at resolving the problem? Then it doesn't actually matter how efficient you are. You've become more efficient at doing the wrong thing. And we need to get back to focusing on doing the right thing. What is actually effective? What do people need? And I really see, you know, we have a community called Beam Tribe, which leverages the power of technology to give people sort of this health GPS in their pocket that's filled with video resources that are short, six minutes or less, 
Um, and we basically just explain common issues like back pain, like knee pain, like what causes those things and how can you start to take away the causes in your life um, and change behaviors over time? Because if you fix the root cause, pain goes away. If all you do is focus on the pain and don't change the root cause, pain always comes back. So I think a better understanding of health professionals as a whole and also using technology to be able to reach people. I mean, everyone's got a phone in their pocket for the most part, right? If you put a really potent tool that benefits the individual to give them back responsibility for their health in their pocket and accessible at all times, um, that can be a really powerful way to help solve the health problem and give people back the ability to take control over their health instead of relying on, on others, on health professionals. Well, I feel like that's in itself something that can really push humanity forward. I mean, it's the confidence to say, oh, I have a couple minutes. I'm going to take it upon myself to really work on this because it isn't something that you just think of every day. It isn't something that just pops into my head like, oh, I'm going to work on my foot strength, but it's really something that I should. Yeah, and it's really not about, I mean, we started with feet because we see them as the foundation for health. And, you know, for me, uh, restoring my foot health was sort of this uh, really big light bulb moment in my life because everything that I was taught went completely against my experience and the results that I got by just spending time barefoot and wearing better shoes. All of my foot problems went away. So, you know, our focus, I always tell people, our our foundational mission is to spread, is to change health culture. Um, foot health is certainly a part of that, but it's a small part of our offering. We want to be the, the best resource for feet or a really effective resource to give people the information they need to take care of their feet. But our focus really has shifted to all pillars of health because what, what we realized was that the problem that we saw with feet is the same problem that exists in every pillar of health, right? This overcomplication of what should be very simple, Right. The conversation, like an example is food. The conversation has gone away from food and towards nutrition. And the average person doesn't have to be a nutrition scientist to be able to, the average eater just needs to understand what to put in their mouth in order to feel good. And that's really simple and actually can involve zero knowledge of nutrients. Um, and so, you know, I, re I really think that a lot of our problems today, you know, whether it's environmental, whether it's social, whether it's economic, a lot of these things are built on a foundation where people aren't healthy. And my personal opinion is that if you help improve health culture, if you globally help elevate the level of health, a healthy person actually has the bandwidth to give a shit about how what they eat affects the environment. They actually can care. They actually can have the resources to, to care about how the products they buy affects the environment. So I really think environmental activism social activism can both be done through health activism because healthy people tend to be more conscious and aware of all these things. Um, maybe that's just my perspective, but I found with myself, uh, I found it to be true. Sort of like a chain reaction. Right. Yep. So I'm a runner and I was super excited to get on this podcast to talk about running shoes. And I'm sure you have a very unique perspective on just the whole running shoe culture these days, the technology that goes into it, and um, all the hype towards them. And I just wanted to know your take on 
whether or not they are actually bad for our feet or not. Yeah, so the running shoe conversation, I tend to bring back to um, just footwear as a whole. So any footwear that is good for your foot, um, which is something we call natural footwear. People sometimes use the term barefoot shoe or minimal shoe, but minimal just means less of the crappy stuff that you don't want. And barefoot shoe is an oxymoron, so I'm not a fan of that term. But natural footwear is clothing you cover your foot with that permits natural function of your foot. My take on running shoes is any shoe that is good for your foot is fine to run in. That's not to say that everyone is ready to run in a shoe that's good for their foot, right? There is a adaptation period. If you've, if you've literally been sitting on a couch for 10 years straight, you don't go out and run a marathon. You just get up and learn how to fight gravity and build some baseline mobility and conditioning of the muscles before you get more intense. If you've been wearing cushion-supportive footwear that's stiff your whole life, you have a really deconditioned foot. And so you need to build a base foundation of conditioning and resiliency and mobility before you can go and do intense loading on that foot. So my take is that humans, like any shoe, I'm not a fan of cushioning. I think cushioning alters the way that you move in a negative way. Any stiffness in a shoe is going to hinder the mobility of your foot. Um... And, you know, most shoes simply aren't wide enough for how the human biology is made. And so natural footwear should be, you know, footwear is like a continuum. On one end, you have what I call maximal footwear, like the craziest of the crazy. Uh, you know, think hokas or like the ultra cushion shoes. Mm -hmm. Those are literally the, the last thing humans should even be thinking of putting on their feet because they severely alter the quality of movement. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have barefoot, being barefoot, unshod with no shoes. Slightly before the barefoot end of the continuum, you have natural footwear, which essentially is getting as close to being barefoot as possible while still protecting your foot from damage. The goal for every human should be, I believe, to go from, to move towards the end of the continuum that natural footwear is on. It doesn't mean go there tomorrow. But it means every time you buy a pair of footwear, go towards that end. I think everyone is capable of buying a pair of natural footwear and just starting to slowly implement it in their day-to-day -day life, right? As like a walking shoe or a shoe that you go do errands in. Um, you need to spend a certain amount of time in natural footwear and build up some resilience before you think about doing more intense activities. But it's really not about the shoe. It's about how you move and how your foot functions. And um, almost every modern shoe... Uh, severely compromises foot function. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I don't know if, uh, I mean, that's kind of a wraparound way of answering your question, but I really think, I, I believe that any shoe that's good for your foot is good for running, is good for movement, is good for any movement you want to do. There are exceptions where, okay, if you need more traction for golf or for field sports, then maybe you need a shoe with more traction underneath it but it doesn't negate all the other principles of being flexible, of being having a thin sole, of being widest, wide at the tip of the toes so that um, your foot can actually splay out, um, and of being flat. Like those are, those are really strong principles that should carry into any kind of footwear we wear, even footwear that's been modified for specific situations. They still shouldn't compromise foot function. So talking about natural footwear, do you have any examples of brands or models that uh, our listeners could research? Yeah, so, I mean, this is, 
access to these shoes is a big problem, um, is a big obstacle rather for people. So we started um, an online store called it's tfc-shop.com. Um, and we feature all the best brands that we can find. Like we don't care if people buy it from there, but that at least gives you an idea of the vast array of natural footwear that's available for humans. Uh, you know, brands like, like we just launched our first piece of footwear. Um, it's a 50, it costs 50 bucks Canadian and it's a shoe. It's a radically natural shoe, which means it has very little effect on the function of the foot. Um, you can literally put them in your pocket. We ship them in envelopes. Like they're very, there's very little to them. Um, but brands like Vivo Barefoot, um, Shama Sandals, Earth Runners, Zero Shoes, there's tons of brands out there making great stuff. And more and more of them are popping up as time goes on and people become more aware and there's more demand for these kinds of shoes. Um, so yeah, tsc-shop.com, you can browse a bunch of stuff there. Like I said, we mainly created that website because Canadians had a really tough time accessing natural footwear. Um, Ironically, most of our sales are not in Canada because I think there's a big demand for natural footwear. People just aren't able to access stores locally. Um, and so, yeah, there's tons of brands, um, different price levels, different styles, but there is a lot out there and it's only getting better and better in terms of availability and, and quality of products available. So how does somebody who has trained in, say, Hoka for years move towards something that you guys would push. Yeah. And I don't like to push anything. I just want to make sure people have the right information. Right. Um, but I mean, the answer to that is that it's very dependent on the individual. Um, it depends on how long they've been in those shoes, how frequently they run, what their mileage is, what their foot strength is like. I just tell everyone, start by being barefoot at home. It's incredible to see how many people wear footwear inside the house. If you can go barefoot in the house for an hour without any problems, you are just fine to wear a pair of natural footwear out and about as your day-to-day -day footwear. Um, and if you can wear natural shoes for, you know, three, four hours without having any issues with your feet, um, then I would encourage people to experiment with some walk-jog intervals and seeing how they feel, right? Start short, start small, take notes and progress as tolerated. And people just have to be good at self-regulating how they feel, right? If something hurts, do less. Or maybe you have a little bit of work to do on your mobility or your stability or your strength. Like people have to feel confident and empowered to be able to do their own experiments and know that they're the only ones that can determine how hard they should be pushing. They just have to listen to their bodies. Your body tells you feedback all the time. And if you actually listen to it, that feedback is extremely beneficial to guide your process. And so people just have to reclaim the ability to interpret signals from their body because that's, that will tell you all the answers you need in terms of how you should be progressing. Um, don't go out, if you run 20 kilometers every other day, don't go out and run 20 kilometers overnight. Like take it, go slower than that, but also know that your body is an amazing adaptation machine. And if you're doing well on all the other pillars of health, you're going to be able to recover and adapt very quickly. Um, so just don't underestimate the body and know that this, these heavily cushioned shoes um, are, are hindering your movement, right? And the problem is that runners don't get shoe-itis or shoe pain. They get knee osteoarthritis 10 years 
after they started running in these cushioned shoes that alter their movement. So there's a there's a delayed um, space between the issue and the signal that there's an issue. Um, and so that's where the education is important so people can make better decisions so that they never have to go through um, that process of learning the hard way, of learning in the, in the way that, okay, eventually you have a hole in your kneecap and now, now your body's going to really be challenged to heal and allow you to continue moving. Just look into how the footwear is affecting your mechanics. Um, and then you can prevent a lot of the issues that most runners face, uh, which they shouldn't be. We're, we're, humans are literally built to be running beautiful um, running machines that are extremely efficient and ex- extremely capable of running long distances with the right training without ever having any problems. Um, and now we just associate running as an, as an injury-promoting activity. And it's not running that does that. It's how you're running. Mm-hmm. And how you run is significantly impacted by the footwear you wear. So on the note of footwear, orthotics, I mean, that's a crazy big... I, I don't want to say band-aid to a bigger problem, but I guess my question to you is, do you... You can say that. Boom. Okay, let's say that then. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think, just like the heuristics, there is 0.001% of people that maybe need some sort of orthosis long-term because they have a genetic defect. Um, but orthotics don't solve problems. They just don't. Um, they cover up the problems, Right. It's the painkiller for, for foot problems. And the, the problem is they're being prescribed for like, it's like, oh, you have ear pain? Oh, let's put you in orthotics. It's like they're being prescribed for everything. And it's so strange. I mean, it's not strange when you understand how profitable orthotics can be. Um, and I don't think practitioners prescribing orthotics are doing it knowing that they're harming people long term and they're, they're not doing it because it's making them money. They're doing it because that's the way they were trained, just like doctors prescribe pain meds because that's what they were trained to do. So I'm not having a go at podiatrists that prescribe orthotics or doctors that prescribe pain meds. I'm having a go at the, at the institutions that train those people to do that when there's significantly better information available now. So you know, orthotics are like a crutch. I would use a crutch if I broke my leg and I need to offload that bone, but I would use it for as short a period of time as possible And I would probably only use it if I broke my leg. Um, I wouldn't use it if I had knee pain. I wouldn't use it for the rest of my life. Because if I did, that leg would just get weaker and weaker. And I would get further away from being able to use it like it's supposed to be used. And orthotics are the same way. Um, They're, I mean, the foot is dynamic. So the idea of literally gluing the foot to a static structure alone makes very little sense. Um, a principle I like to go back to is called the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand, which basically says that the body will adapt according to what you expose it to. If you're exposing your foot to support and to, to rigidity and stiffness, then your foot is going to get stiff and your foot is going to get weak. These are, this is simply the natural law of physiology. This is how the body works. And so when you understand that, you look at orthotics as something that's making people's feet weaker and stiffer over time. And a weak, stiff foot will eventually be painful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, orthotics is, we did literally an hour and 10-minute podcast on orthotics because it is a multivariate topic that needs to be unpacked. But at the end of the day, 
very few people should be put in orthotics. And when they are, it should be for a shorter period of time as possible. So it's time to get rid of the Band-Aid and kind of find that bigger solution. Yeah, it's time to restore natural function. I mean, this is really the way health works. It's like that's what, our body's really good at doing what it's supposed to do to take to let us function properly. Let's just get out of its way and let it reorganize into a natural state. Right. And that comes through just understanding the principles of how the body works well, right? And one of those things is it needs a lot of movement inputs. Um, orthotics are like anti-movement, right? Natural footwear is pro-movement. Um, living a lifestyle free of chairs as much as you can is pro-movement. And so that's really what we need to get back to is thinking about going really, really simple and basic and thinking, okay, well, how do we change behaviors um, to align with our biology instead of adding more quote-unquote technology that we think is helping us but is actually hindering natural, naturally restoring function. So let's say we have 10 minutes a day, just 10 minutes that we take and we can use towards restoring that natural function in our body. What, what can we do in that 10 minutes? Yeah, and probably my first question there would be, what are you doing for the other 23 hours and 50 minutes? Yeah. Um, and, and also the fact, like, most people don't know where their time goes. It's like people that say, I don't have five minutes to meditate are the same people who spend four hours on social media. Like, we need to do an audit of where our time and energy is being spent because you might be spending it on things that don't align with your aspirations. And if we don't have that conversation, it's going to be a really tough road. Um, I also think that health doesn't come through... Um, supplements, right? Like what you just said, 10 minutes is like a supplement. Like I have this little period of time, I'm going to do what I can. I think health comes from assessing your daily behaviors, right? Um, you know, and changing your environment to facilitate healthy behaviors. So you don't have to take a supplement. Um, you know, I don't, I don't go to the gym, um, but I'm fairly strong and stable because my life revolves around movement. Uh, I sit, I squat, I lunge, I do all these things throughout my day. Um, and it's not, it's not something I have to do a huge mega dose of intense movement uh, in the gym. I just moved as part of my lifestyle. I live a movement-based lifestyle. And, you know, you don't need to exercise. You just have to move. You have to know how to incorporate movement into your life. And so, you know, like really TFC is almost melded into a health media company. And so a big focus moving forward is going to be how do we create content that aims to help people rediscover how to implement good behaviors into their lives, um, center, you know, regardless of what pillar that's aligned with. Um, and so I would say take a more global approach and focus on the behaviors you do during the day. Take a behavior audit of like one week or even one day or even one hour. Like, what are you doing? Are you sitting? Well, can you modify that to be standing or kneeling or on the floor? You know, like that's a low-hanging fruit compared to that 10 minutes. And that 10 minutes is very dependent on what, a, what an individual's aspirations are, right? Like what do they, do they have a specific problem they're trying to address? Do they have a specific thing that they want to work on? So it's hard to give a catch-all heuristic without any context of the individual. But like I said, I would if someone asked me that, I would say, well, you might have more time than you think, 
And it might be easier to change behavior if we look at your daily behaviors as a whole, instead of just trying to find an isolated time, a period of time to supplement what you're not doing the rest of the day. Um, like just do slightly better things the rest of the day and you don't have to even find that 10 minutes. So I guess just taking a look at your day to day and figuring out what works for you and how you can improve the things that you want to improve. But yep. Like you said earlier, you don't want to approach it from this like super scary perspective where your whole life is going to change. It can change without changing, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. It's like a very subtle um, evolution. It, it's a subtle. I think sustainable health comes from a subtle process, not a like drastic change. Drastic change is scary, and it's also just not how our psychology works, right? It's really hard. There's certain things that can facilitate transformative change, like, um, you know, immersive experiences or psychedelics or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, the average person simply needs to embrace the process of constant incremental improvement where they chip away little bit by little bit at changing their behaviors because they enjoy the process. They have to enjoy the process. It shouldn't be work. It should be play. I just, I have... You know, I always tell people, I just play all day long. I play with my own health and experiment with different things. I play with different ways of reaching people with the information I feel is important and simple through, you know, social media or different communities. Um, and so you have to take a playful approach to improving your health and not have it be something that you dread doing or something that you feel is work. It's just like, I mean... I think there's a general lack of purpose in what in people's lives, right? Like most people, um, according to some of the data that I've read, don't feel a sense of purpose in the work they do. And so what better thing to find purpose in than working to improve yourself, right, than, than growth, whether that's physical health, whether that's mental health, whether that's um, spiritual health, whatever you, you choose to make meaning of that, um, in whatever way. And some people, you know, I didn't, when someone said spiritual, probably like a couple of years ago, I didn't even have a template to know what that meant. So I automatically thought they were weirdos. Um, and everyone makes their own meaning of that word. But I really think that if you find joy, um, and a constant sense of purpose in improving yourself, um, that is the, a really big element in being able to be consistent with improving yourself and, and engaging daily with your health processes is knowing that it's important, right? Um, and it's, it's funny because what initially might be important for you from a selfish point of view, anytime you work on health, it's automatically selfless. It's all because if you are a healthier person, you will be a better um, brother, sister, father, coworker business leader, like literally health is always a selfless act, but it can also start off by being selfish. Um, it can be both. And so whether you find that purpose of you personally feeling better or whether you find that purpose of, I want to be a better parent, so I'm going to work on my health, you know, like there's a lot of ways to find purpose in health. People just have to latch onto one, commit and enjoy the process. All right, Nick, we're going to wrap things up here. I know you have a meeting to get to, but I could talk to you forever. This has been a really great conversation. Uh, maybe we can get a part two in there sometime soon. <laughs> cool. It's funny how quickly 45 minutes goes by. I know. Like, where does it go? Yeah. But just to wrap things up, uh, I do at the end of every episode what's called a mountain minute. And so that's just a rapid fire round of questions just to kind of get the audience 
um, in on what you like on a more simple note, a more personal note. Sure. Um, so yeah, let's get to it. You ready? Yep. This, 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 this is the Mountain Minute. Three, two, one. Favorite movie? Blow. Favorite food? Banana bread. Go to breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. Favorite song? Oh God, these are really these are tough questions. Uh, favorite song right now? Um, oh, so many songs in my head. This is. Can I come back to this one? <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure song? Pleasure song. Define pleasure. Uh, something that you uh, don't like telling people is your favorite song. You'll listen to alone in the car, in the shower, at night, kind of thing. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know why I'm blanking. I think it's because there's so much data in my brain. I'm a really big fan of old school funk. Okay. Um, so Stevie, something Stevie Wonder. I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Favorite day of the week. Monday. Least favorite day of the week. Wednesday. Favorite color. Blue. What time do you usually go to bed? 9 p.m. Exactly. What time do you usually wake up? 5 a.m. If you can make any animal your pet, what animal would you choose? Any animal? Any. A grizzly bear. If you could change the stigma around one thing in the world, what would it be? Footwear. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? I wouldn't want to trade lives with anyone. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? If I could have any superpower. Man, I I never thought of that one. That's a really good one. Um, To just instantly make people feel radical love. Mm. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Coffee or tea? Both dependent. Coffee in the morning, tea in the evening. Rain or shine? No preference. Day or night? Day. Favorite number? Seven. Where do you want to travel? Where do I want to travel next? Somewhere I haven't been. Okay, let's circle back. What what was the question again? What is your favorite song? Oh, God, yeah. You did a good job at rapid-firing those. It's hard (laughs) to think of that. Um, My favorite song... um, I love Tosh Sultana. So Jungle by Tosh Sultana is a is a top pick right now, but it's really hard to pick favorites. So where did you first hear that song? I first heard that song uh, when I was introduced to Tosh Sultana by a guy called Clayton Weekly, who's a foot nerd from Pittsburgh. And since then, I've just been obsessed with her because she makes awesome music. Final question, fill in the blank. This podcast is? Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast and just being able to create this awesome conversation. It really meant a lot. No worries. Thanks for having me and thanks for doing these podcasts because podcasts are not, you know, we do our own podcasts, something people often don't get paid for, but it's something that's also really important as an element, as a media, as a subset of media to help change people's perspective. So thank you for doing this, Jake, taking the time and having me on today. Absolutely. If you want, you can drop the name of your podcast right now. Uh, It's called the TFC Audio Project. It's on iTunes and I believe other platforms. So, yeah. And where can we find you and the Foot Collective? 
thefootcollective.com and then at thefootcollective on Instagram. Those are our two kind of launch pads for everything else. Sweet, man. All right, that's it. Thanks for being on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys, for tuning into another episode of the Mountain Movers podcast. Now, if you are an iTunes listener and you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to, you know, leave a rating, leave a review. Let me know what you think. Ratings help this podcast grow, which essentially will grow the Mountain Movers community. And that's all I can hope for. Building this community where it's okay to be heard. It's okay to open up and let people know how you are, how you're feeling, what you're up to. Until next time, keep climbing. Love always, Jake.